You are listening to For His Glory, a sermon series exploring God's grace in the book of Romans, preached by Dr. Trent Stewart. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com. Today in Romans 15, uh, we've got today and then next Sunday is the final sermon in this series. And so, uh, man, don't miss next Sunday. Uh, We've got some really cool things that are going to kind of help us wrap up this series. And uh, a lot of folks are going to be sharing. And uh, so I'm really excited about next Sunday. Don't miss that. Um, Today, though, uh, as we're kind of just really seeing the very end of this letter, uh, Paul's given us more insight into his ministry. Um, so let's start with this picture. Let's, let's just show that picture first of all. Um, do you guys know who this is? What, what is this? That <laughs> was kind of quiet. It's okay to talk, you know, even though it's church. Who is this? The thinker. Yeah, it's called the thinker. Now, what you may not know is kind of where this actually comes from. Um, this is a, a, a statue that uh, really you see a lot that stands alone, but it, he, he's called the thinker. He's obviously thinking, and, and this is the PG version, you know, he is naked, but you know, we didn't want to go too far today. So, so what, what you may not know is that this is a part of a, a bigger statue. Um, um, I'm a French uh, sculptor uh, named Rodin uh, many, many years ago, uh, after reading the poem Dante's Inferno, uh, sought out to develop and, and create uh, the gates of hell. And so he, he began to design that, it took him many, many years, and, and the thinker was actually atop the gates of hell. So this is the actual, this is a casting of this statue. And so hey, you can Google this when you go home and kind of see uh, all the different images that are going on. But you can see at the top of the gates, is the thinker. So a lot of people think that it's, it's Dante himself thinking about all the people that are going to hell and suffering in hell. And some people think, and I kind of tend to uh, uh, think this, that it's Adam. And he's kind of thinking about that boneheaded move he made in the garden and kind of, you know, envisioning all the wrath that, that kind of followed. So, but, but we, I wanted you to look at this because a lot of times we look at this and we think, uh, man, this is like a philosophical, really smart people, um, the thinker and all this kind of stuff. And we think that maybe that's not really us. And other people talk about this guy, but, but it doesn't really, you know, kind of affect me because I'm not that great of a thinker. But I want you to think with me today. Uh, you, in fact, have been greatly blessed by our creator and he has given you this brain and he has given you this ability that we call thinking. And you guys are great, amazing, intelligent thinkers. Okay. Now let's just back up and, and, and kind of break it apart a little bit. So when you woke up this morning, you thought about what you were going to wear. So, I mean, the day starts early for many of you and you're thinking about what am I going to wear? And, and guys got dressed and then you looked at your wife and you say, is this all right? I mean, you may know you're kind of making sure everything went together. It's like no black socks with brown shoes and no black belts with, you know, black shoes, all that kind of matchy stuff. So you, you think about that. And so some of you have kids and you were like, you know, let's think about how we're going to get the kids all ready, you know, out the door on time to church in order to watch the five. We want to get there a little early. And so uh, you went through that whole process and, and then, you know, they didn't follow your directions. So then you had to think about how you're going to punish them. And so you're thinking constantly. Some of you guys are in positions, all of you, if you've got a job, you're thinking. I mean, you're making decisions. You're, you're making personnel decisions. You're making leadership decisions. So you are thinking through some, some great like ideas. And, and, and if you own a business or maybe you're a leader in an organization, you're, you're thinking about how can I grow the business? How can I grow, you know, financially? How can we take the business to the next level? And so you're, you're great thinking and you spend time 
thinking. Some of you are thinking about your future, and so you're, you know, you're saving. You've got a savings account, and you're throwing some money in there for one day. Some of you uh, actually have a 401k, a retirement plan, and so you're thinking about the future and taking care, and so you're putting money in there. Some of you have thought about you know, your health and maybe automobile stuff, so you've got insurance for that just in case something happens. And if you're, you know, if you've got health insurance and everything's about to change your business owner, you're thinking, Maybe we should like elect a new president. No, I'm not going to go there. Um, <clears throat> but you're thinking it. You know, we're all kind of thinking about what's going on. But anyway, so we're, you're great at thinking. If you're married, uh, you thought about making a family. So how many kids are we going to have, honey? And so you thought about that. And then you started to have kids. And then you started saying, why did we have so many kids? And then, you know, if you're single, you're, you're thinking about getting married and what your spouse is, you know, what kind of spouse you want and, and where your wedding is going to be. And if you're a lady, you, you know, girl, you're probably thinking about how many bridesmaids and what's it's going to look like and your colors and you've got it all planned out, you know? So we're great thinkers, okay? The issue that I want to start with today is if in fact we are such great thinkers and you think constantly about business and family and you're thinking strategically in all these areas of your life, why is it that when we walk into the church, why is it that when it comes to spiritual matters, why is it when it comes to our relationship with God, do we stop thinking? In other words, why do we not put as much brain power and thought and thinking into building God's kingdom, into making disciples, into impacting people with the gospel? Why, why are we not thinking about that? Why are we not having coffee and, and, and why aren't you with friends and you're kind of discussing how to do that better? How can you reach people for Christ in a more effective way. You see, for some of you, you're thinking that way, but I think for, for, for many people here and many people in the church across the country, we like think business. You, you sit in your you know, business meetings and you think strategically about how to grow business and how to grow staff and how to hire well and, and how to fire well. And you're thinking strategically in all these ways. And then in the church world, I think a lot of us just come and we sit. A lot of us just come in and do things the way that we've always done them because it's church. And in church, you come and you sit and then you go home. That's just kind of tradition. Or maybe you, you do serve in some kind of capacity and you serve in some, some kind of ministry, but, but you're not really thinking strategically about it because you just come and serve. You just come and do you know, what you think you're supposed to do and then you, then you go home. And if in fact God gave us this brain, which I believe we would all say, yes, he has. And if in fact you are such an amazing, great thinker, my challenge for you and question for you throughout today's sermon is, why are we not thinking through how to do ministry better? Because there are some brilliant people in this room. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I talk to people, talk to you guys about what you do, and it's like, man, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't even know what you just said, uh, but it sounds really important. I mean, we've got all kinds of people in all walks of life doing these incredibly difficult things all over this city, building organizations, leading organizations, working and doing technical things. And I'm just like, listen, listen, what would it look like? if everybody in this room collectively thought strategically and cooperated together to win this city for Jesus. You see, I think the answers to how we reach this city are right here in this room, but sometimes they're locked up here because we're not thinking through it. 
And so as we look at, at chapter 15 and, and even 16 today, what we're going to begin to see is, is, is really how Paul finishes this letter by saying, this is what my ministry has been about. This is what my ministry has looked like. And I believe that if we will look at, at his ministry and how he worked and it related to the church and related to God, you're going to learn something today too. And I hope that uh, you'll listen and I hope that you are fired up about it. All right, here we go. Let's hop back up to verse 20. We read this last week, but I want to cover it again. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now I mentioned this last week, but I wanted to start here again because Paul's ambition, his passion, that driving force in his life, the calling that God had given to him was to preach and plant churches where no church existed, where Jesus was not known. So if you're taking notes today, the first principle I want you to see is that each of us have to determine our calling. You've got to determine what God is calling you to do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, he is calling you to do something. He hasn't given you this amazing intellect and this amazing ability to lead and do all these great things just outside in the secular world. He's calling you to do that in and through the ministries of his Church, what is God calling you to do? So for Paul, his calling was a frontier missionary to go places no one else has gone, to preach, to plant churches. If you hop on down, I think it's in, um, it's in one of these following verses. Uh, he talks about, oh yeah, verse 23. He says, uh, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Um, it's like, wait a minute. Certainly, all these areas that he's gone, he's planted churches, he's preached about Christ. The work isn't finished there. I mean, really, there are more disciples that need to be made. Certainly, there are more churches that need to be planted. The more churches, the better. I mean, that, re that are reaching people. So what he is saying here is not that every single aspect of ministry has been accomplished. What he's saying is his specific calling has been finished as a planner of churches, as a, as a pastor where Christ has not been preached. He plants the church and then he moves on. Me, I'm more of a, of a teacher. So I would have come in after Paul and then taught people and, and, and developed leaders and developed people. That's kind of my, my role and how I do that, how, how I feel like God is calling me. But each of you in this room have a calling. I mean, what are the issues in this world that fire you up? What are the things in this world that you're passionate about? That, what are the problems that you see in the world that you just get, you just want to see fixed? When you begin to answer those questions, you begin to kind of narrow down your passion and quite possibly the calling that God has in your life. Like the, the experiences that you've had, the, the gifts that you have, the skills that you have. When you, when you look at all of these pieces, you begin to see how God is calling you specifically. Now that is huge for us to start with because everybody in this room has gifts and, 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 and as a believer, we're called to serve in some capacity. So we, we must understand our calling. Um, in our small group this past week, or actually it's been a couple weeks, we're going through the book of Acts together. And so 
all of our small groups are doing that. And we were in Acts chapter six and throw that passage up there. If you don't got, if you guys don't mind, what we were, what we came to is that in the early church, there were some problems that were going on. There were some widows that weren't getting taken, that no one was taking care of them. Food wasn't getting to them. And so ministry was not happening. And so they knew that something better had to be done. So they thought through it. They strategized, they got intentional about it and they created what we now know as deacons. And so this is what that passage says. Um, as they face this problem. In verse uh, two, it says, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. These are the elders of the church. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, when we came across that passage in our small group, we had a really good discussion because some people were like, you know what, that kind of sounds a little arrogant, a little stuck up. You're too good to wait on tables, so all you can do is preach. And no, it kind of sounds a little goody-goody, like I'm too good to do this. But then when you look at it and our discussion kind of took us to this, remember it says in verse two, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word. Because in order to preach, there's a lot of study, a lot of prayer. There's a lot of meditating that goes into developing and teaching this. And so if they were to start waiting on tables, then that would have taken the time that they were devoting to prayer and the ministry of the word, which in fact, it says would not have been right for them. In other words, it would have been disobeying God. It would have been uh, missing what God wanted them to do. And so this is why it's important to understand that everyone has a role. As an elder, I'm called to lead this church and to preach. That's my, I've got lots of irons in the fire. I've got a lot of different things and ministries going on. And, and so do you guys. But at the end of the day, the one thing I cannot neglect, the one thing I must always prioritize is this event, the preaching and studying and prayer of God's word so that I can teach it. And so if I were to miss that, I would be wrong. And so some of you Listen, this is where some of you guys are at. You're saying yes to everything and some of you are doing this and doing that and doing that. And because you've kept yourself busy doing all these good things, you quite possibly could be missing the one thing that God is calling you to do. The one thing that you must do, the one heartbeat of what God is telling you to do. And you, and in, in fact, some of you actually know what that is, but you've let all these little things, you know, keep you distracted and you keep saying these are all good things because this one scares you, this one intimidates you, and all of these things are distracting from, from the thing that God is calling you to do. So question number one today, what is God calling you to do? This is huge. Secondly, after we understand what God is calling us to do, we've got to develop a strategy and be intentional. Develop a strategy and be intentional. That's why I say be a thinker. You've got you, you've to think through ministry. Um, it's too sad when I see churches just do the same thing they've always done and expect different results. That's, that's like the definition of insanity, isn't it? Like we have to change. We have to get better. We have to understand our culture. We have to understand how to reach young people and how to share the gospel in a way that people understand it and share it in a way that, that, that we can be um, uh, able to share God's truth with People And so that takes strategy. That takes some intentionality. Look at verses 22 and 24. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. 
But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, in other words, I've, I've wanted to come see you, and I, you know, it's kind of been one of those things where you've invited somebody over, and they're like, yeah, we need to get together, we need to get together, let's do dinner, let's do dinner, yeah, call me, text me. You've said that to somebody, and you keep saying that. He's, he's kind of like, hey, text me, we, we're going to get together, but we haven't done that yet. Verse 24, here's the reason. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So, so the strategy here is, is, is if you flip in the back of your Bibles one day, you're going to see those maps. And maybe you've never really looked at those maps, but in those maps, uh, most of the time they're going to have Paul's first journey, Paul's second journey. And it kind of like the little red line that shows where he traveled and where he planted churches. And so, so Paul is very strategic in where he is going and how he is doing things. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem, okay, intentional. The reason why he's going there, because verse, the, the next verse says that in Macedonia and Achaia, they collected an offering for the people in Jerusalem because they were going through a famine. They were going through a tough time. They, they needed more ministry that needed to take place, so they needed more resources. So these Gentile churches uh, took up a collection. Paul's on his way. So he goes to Jerusalem. He's going to give them money. And then he's going to go to the church in Rome. Oh, you know, he's been writing this letter to them. And now he's saying, I'm going to come see you guys. But it's on my way to Spain because ultimately he wanted to take the gospel to Spain and had not been there yet. So he's stopping at the church in Rome to collect another offering to fund his mission in Spain. So Paul is very strategic. He's very intentional. He's not just willy-nilly. He's not just let's wake up and go. He thinks through it. He prays about it. He talks. He has, you know, strategy sessions with Timothy and these other guys. Where are we going to go? How are we going to do it? He says, um, I, I want to come and I want to be with you. I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to get this help. Um, but I've got to go to Jerusalem first. So there's strategy behind this. See, for, for us, what this means is, is we, we've got to take the, the, um, the, the ADD kind of approach to ministry out the door. Like some of you guys are legit ADD and you're talking and you're listening and you're distracted by everything going on and you can be talking about one thing and then boom, you're, you're, like, you're like the dog in the movie Up. You remember, remember Up? You know, the cartoon. It's like you're just talking to somebody and then all of a sudden it's like squirrel, you know, and you're totally, you're totally off. And, and, and so like, man, I, I love my wife. She's so dear to me, uh, she will be, you know, working, you know, maybe doing you know, laundry one second. And, and before she's finished, she'll, she'll see the kitchen and be like, oh man, I get to get the kitchen. And so then she goes and she'll do, next thing I know, she's in the garage, reorganizing the garage. And it's like, honey, like one thing, honey, one. And so some of you are kind of like that. And, 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 and so what we have to do in the church world and ministry world, and you have to do this in your business, you do this all the time. You focus, you prioritize. And it's like sometimes in the church world, we like take the, we take the bullseye and we like, you know, we, we like set it aside and then we like shoot the arrow and, and then we kind of throw, you know, the bullseye hoping that it sometimes intersects. It's like ready, fire, aim. Wait a minute. You know, it's too often we get ahead of ourselves and we don't understand what exactly we should be doing. We've got to have some intentionality. We've got to strategize. We have to understand where God is calling us. Now, verses, uh, the next few verses, let's look at it again. Verse 26, he says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints uh, at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. In other words, they were happy to do it. And indeed, they owed it to them. 
For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. So, so here's what's happening. There's a theological reason here behind why they owe them. And, and by the way, the next point, put, put the next point up there. God's people fund God's mission. That's an important principle. God's people fund God's mission. What we see here is God's people funding the mission of God. In, in Macedonia and Achaia, the churches were pleased. They were happy to give some money to give to Jerusalem so that they could do more ministry. And Paul says, in fact, they, you, you owe it to them. And so the, the theological reason why they owe it to them is because it, it says, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they should also share and give materially. The spiritual blessing is that in the Jewish line, from the line of David the, the, through the Jewish line, the Messiah would come. And so it's from the, the Jewish nation that Jesus comes. Salvation is now here. And he says, look, you owe it to them. This is, this is how God like orchestrated and used it. So they were pleased to do it. And, and in fact, they did owe it and they wanted to do so. So this is big. This is big for me because, I, I, you know, sometimes depending on your background, there's a lot of churches that might do, you know, offerings for like special guest speakers, an offering, you know, for special singers, an offering for, you know, a certain missionary that shows up or, you know, an offering for Easter and then Lottie Moon and then, you know, orphans in, you know, Africa. And it's like all the time offerings. And so like we don't, we don't do that. We do one offering a year. It's the Christmas offering. Um, a lot of churches do like fundraisers, like you know, let's, let's sell donuts and sell whatever. Let's have a yard sale and do all this. And I'm not necessarily knocking that. I'm just saying that in the Bible, when we read it, we don't see that taking place. We see God's people giving generously to the mission of God. So I'm not going to go to, you know, a lost person and say, hey man, can I have some money so that I can like reach you for the gospel? You know, hook a brother. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. God's people um, give generously for the vision of, of, of reaching people for Christ. And so, so back to our offering. We do one offering. It's called the Christmas offering. Some of you guys are new. Uh, December 15th is, is when we're going to do this. And, and that offering is the one-time event all year that we give uh, a, a special offering that goes specifically to uh, our mission's budget. So we take care of Brett in Haiti, our missionary in Haiti. We take care of Brad in the Dominican Republic, our missionary there. Um, we're going to do some other mission work uh, this year that, that, that this will fund. Um, our local partners like the Pregnancy Resource Center, um, Second Harvest Food Bank, all of these great local ministries we partner with. And so, so, you know, when you give to the budget, when you give every week and when you give to the Christmas offering, uh, you know, that's, that's how we fund and that's how we give to these various things. It also covers, like for this year, we're a little behind in our budget. And so a portion of the Christmas uh, offering is going to go to budget catch-up. Um, man, we serve a big God and we have a big vision. So uh, what we want to accomplish takes resources. So, you know, I hope this year we're going to add some staff. Uh, we want to ha- add some uh, pastoral staff. We want to add some administrative help, um, those kinds of things. Uh, we want to save for the property next door so that we can one day move in and build a new worship center there, make this our student facility. Uh, we want to one day build a counseling center. That's really been on my heart. I want to, you know, a lot of you guys are getting trained in, in becoming a peer counselor and so 
Wouldn't it be awesome to have a center where, you know, affordable uh, biblical counseling could take place? And some of you guys are like wired that way anyway. And so, uh, so I, could, I could talk all day long about what we want to see uh, done and how we want to help this community. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's funded by God's people. So it depends upon us. You know, the last few months kind of kind of realizing where we're at in our budget, I'll just be really honest with you. As, as your pastor, like it, it stressed me out and it's, it's like got to me. And over the last like three, four weeks, God has just like grown my faith in a way that uh, he never has before. And it, it, there's been some cool things that have taken place. And, and, and mainly it's just in my, my, my personal time with God. And now he's, here's what I know. Here's what he's convinced me of. Like he hasn't brought us this far to let us down now, right? And that could be, that could be for, for you personally today too. He hasn't brought you this far to let you down now. When I look at what God has done in this church, it blows me away. It blows me away in the short time that we've been here and how God has just orchestrated this today. It's amazing. And so, I, 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 man, I've, I've got a, a brand new like hope and, and just, just strength in where we're at as a church and what God's going to do, I believe, through this Christmas offering. But all that to say, we, after we develop strategy, it's intentional, the people of God fund the mission of God. All right, next. Number four. <clears throat> so once we develop all this, the, the, the fourth thing is we bathe our ministry in prayer. Let's look at the next few verses here. Verse uh, 30 and 33. Through 33, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers uh, to God on my behalf. So he's like, look, pray for me, man, um, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you. So, so the idea here, what he's praying for is, is protection. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. We know in Acts chapter 15 through 17, he gets arrested when he goes. So it's, this is the letter. Acts is kind of the, the, the history of the church. And so he gets much needed prayer because he was arrested. And then he's also praying that the people would accept him and that they would accept his offering. So he wanted all that to work out. So at the end of the day, who's praying for you? Who's praying for your ministry? When someone says, how can I pray for you? Do you have a response? A lot of times we don't have a response because we don't have a ministry and we're not thinking about what kind of prayer we need. And I'm just saying, guys, for, for, for some of the guys, if, if we would use some of our thinking brain power, that, that same amount of thinking brain power that we use for fantasy football and Xbox for ministry, and I think this church would change the world. If we would use just a fraction of the brain power we spend on how we can make more money in our organization and put it on the church and ministry, I think that God would blow the roof off of this place. God's people fund God's work and we've got to bathe our ministry in prayer. Finally, in chapter 16, a lot of times when we read the Bible and you see a bunch of names, you probably think, oh man, I'm not going to get anything from this. It's just a bunch of, you know, words, a bunch of people. I can't even pronounce their name. But here, here's the idea, uh, the fifth and final point. For our personal ministries, we've got to create a team around us. We've got to create a team to accomplish the work. Um, 
just from personal experience, if you're a Lone Ranger kind of ministry kind of person, man, you, you're not functioning as God would want you to function. This church would not be where it is today had it not be, been for guys like Pastor Greg, Pastor James, and now Pastor Brandon. I mean, not to mention all the ladies, all the men, all the leaders and volunteers that have served this place uh, for the last four and a half years. I mean, the, the team is what makes it what it is today. And I think th- this list of 28, 29 people that he uh, mentions here are a huge part of his success. These are all people in the church at Rome. So I want to I cover some of them. I can't spend a ton of time, but here we go. Verse one. Are you with me? If you're with me, give me a little, uh-huh. All right, that's pretty good. You're with me. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So here's what we know about Phoebe. First of all, the name Phoebe is a a name after a Greek uh, god. So she was a Gentile who had accepted Christ. Phoebe is a feminine name. Uh, It has the, you can tell in the Greek language, feminine, between feminine and masculine. Um, And so she's a woman. Also, it says that she's a sister. So she's a woman. All right. And then it calls her a servant of the church. The Greek word there is the word diakonos. Uh, So she is a diakonos of the church. And so um, anytime that we see the word diakonos in the New Testament, it's either translated as servant or it's translated as deacon. Now, the context of that verse will dictate whether or not deacon or servant. And so if it's a diakonos of a a specific person or a diakonos of the Lord, it's translated a servant of the Lord or a servant of Trent or a servant of whoever. In this particular case, when it says a diakonos of the church, most scholars and myself uh, uh, believe that this woman is actually a deacon in the early church. Now, if you come from Baptist worlds like I do, you are like, (gasps) did he say what I think he just said? I did. I really did. Because despite the fact that I agree with the Baptist faith and message, and that's my theology and background, I went to a Southern Baptist Seminary. I I, I love Southern Baptist uh, circles. However, in the structure of, uh, I guess, the local church in today's time, uh, words that we use like deacon um, and and some, you know, in the Baptist world, elders aren't, that word's not used. But but in the call to lead, the sermon series, we talked about elders and pastors and deacons. It's in the cafe if you want to study that more. Um, but we really kind of outline um, the roles. And so sometimes in those churches, deacons act like elders. They function as elders, and yet they just have the same you know, name. And so it's very, very confusing to like the, you know, the average church person. So, so let's just look at the Bible. And let's just stick to that. Is that a good idea? I think, I think it is. So, so Phoebe is a deacon. Okay, and I'm okay with that. Um, the, only, the only place in the New Testament that, it, that the Bible specifically says is for the, a role for a man is elder pastor. Other than that, uh, the Bible's, Bible is wide open for, for women in ministry. And so there's just specific roles. And, and I talk about this in that, uh, in that sermon series that just like in the Trinity, you know, God really shows us that in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equal, like the Spirit is not less important than Jesus. 
And, 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 and God is not less than, you know, the spirit. They're, they're equal, co-equal, and yet they have different functions. Same with male-female relationships. Study it, look at the Bible, and you'll come to the same conclusion, I, I, I hope and I pray. But Phoebe is, yes, she's a deacon. Um, she's a diakonos, um, and she's from Sincrea, a little, little city not far from Corinth. Uh, and she's delivering this letter. And Paul says, I want you to commend her, give her whatever she needs. She's a patron. Uh, in other words, she's a great friend and she has worked hard. She has done great work. Now, as we go through the rest of this, here's one thing I want you to notice. All throughout this passage, he lists nine different women. And every time he lists a woman's name, he says that she is a hard worker. Now for the dudes in the passage, it's like, oh, he's a brother and he's a kinsman or he's a, he's a, he's a whatever. But never does it say that about the guys. So, but I want you to, I want you to take this, especially ladies, like, like the Bible is not a, a, you know, a hold and push women down ministry, philosophy, mindset. I mean, the Bible and God would liberate women more so than culture could ever dream about. You understand that. And so if you're kind of from the camp of the world, like, you know, women can't do and can't, and the Bible kind of holds down, you have not studied the scripture. This one passage says more positive things about women than any other first century Greek writing. Study that. No other Greek writing talks about women. So if you want to know if the Bible is pro-women, absolutely. Let's just read some more. Another example is verse three, greet Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. Now this is a husband wife team. So husbands and wives, great, great little example, I think of, of serving together. Now I think seven times um, th- this couple is mentioned, Prisca, uh, Priscilla, and Aquila in the New Testament. And uh, about half the time, it always lists Prisca or Priscilla first, which is very, very interesting. Because even in today's culture, if you were like introducing um, a, a family or a person, what would you say? This is Mr. and Mrs. The Mr. always goes first in, in the culture, right? Uh, and even at this time, it was always, you know, kind of Mr. or the, or the guy first. But in this case, in the New Testament, Priscilla's mentioned first several times. And so it's, it's just unique. Again, I think it, 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 it speaks pro-women. And it says uh, they risk their necks. So some kind of danger with Paul. Uh, and we should give thanks to them. Verse 5, greet also the church in their house. So what we see in the New Testament also is that churches didn't have cool, awesome buildings like this. What they had were, were homes. And so they met in homes. One of the reasons why we have small group in homes and we don't do them on the church campus is because number one, we think it's biblical. But number two, it is one thing to be in a classroom setting and talk about your problems and your relationship with Christ. And it's another thing to be in my house, sipping on coffee, sitting on my awesome comfy couch, talking about your issues. I mean, it's a totally different environment and setting. And so that's why we would do that. We also think it's biblical. It says, greet my beloved. And these are great words, by the way. Uh, Eponidas who is the first convert in Christ in Asia. Give it up for Eponidas. He's the first guy in Asia to accept Christ. Way to go, man. Uh, number six, or verse six, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Again, this is a woman. She's working hard. He makes that specific point. Verse seven, greet uh, Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Fellow homies locked up in the pen. Uh, shout out to them. They are all 
well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. In other words, they accepted, they, they knew Jesus before me. I just kind of came and served them, worked with them. Verse 8, uh, greet uh, Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Now, if, you're, if your wife is pregnant, you're looking for names, don't go to chapter 15, all right? I'm just warning you. Uh, verse 9, greet Urbanus, uh, which means city slicker. You can kind of see the you can kind of see the, where we get the word urban from that, by the way. Our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stakies. <laughs> That's a good one. Verse 10, uh, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Another interesting statement. He doesn't say greet Aristobulus. He says to greet his household. And the reason is because Aristobulus is not a believer. However, his household is. Now, he was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was one of the, he was uh, uh, the Emperor Claudius's best friend, the Emperor of Rome at the time. He was his best friend. The dude was rich. He was wealthy. He was not a believer, but evidently his servants, some of his family, maybe some of his slaves were actually believers in Christ. And so Paul says, give a shout out to those guys because they're doing the work and they're under some oppression and they're, they're in this guy's house. Verse 11, greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of narcissists. Now, here's another interesting thing. So history, you know, not biblical history or biblical text, but, but secular Greek writing and text have these same names. And so we, we have these uh, writings about these guys like Aristobulus and Narcissus. Narcissus was Claudius's secretary. So he was, I guess, a man secretary uh, for the emperor. And so you had to go through him in order to meet with the emperor. And so... Um, history shows us that, man, he was taking bribes and, you know, people were greasing his palm. And so he was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire at this time. And so again, it says not to greet him, but to greet his household. So he had people in his family, servants in his household that were Christians. Now, oh, here's another interesting. After Claudius, anybody know who was the emperor of Rome? Any history buffs? You could probably just guess the one guy that you know and get it right. Nero, yeah. It's like, that's the one guy I know. I'm going with Nero, you know. Uh, phone a friend, uh, Lifeline. Anyway, so he was the, he was the guy that, that, that pretty much, he kills Claudius, had, had him killed. He took over. And so then, so Nero made Narcissus, all, this is all history, just read history, made him commit suicide. And when he made him commit suicide, he inherited all of his money. So Narcissus, multi, multi millionaire, he gets all of his money and he gets all of his servants. So now Nero is killing Christians in Rome and he has people in his own household who are in fact believers, serving him food, bringing him his, you know, getting his kids ready for work, uh, school, all that. His servants, actually believers, many of them. It's kind of interesting. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Uh, greet, some people think that they were twins, by the way. You can kind of see that. My wife's uh, mother, it was her birthday yesterday. So shout out to Connie. She's a twin and her sister's name is Bonnie. So Connie and Bonnie, whatever. Um, and and uh, Micah's dad's name is Jerry. And, and Micah's uh, aunt, Bonnie, married uh, Larry. So it's Connie and Bonnie, Larry and Jerry. <laughs> That's free. Uh, <clears throat> greet the beloved. I don't think my wife or Greg is in here, so I think I'm safe. <clears throat> greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard. Again, this is a woman who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Rufus. Okay, so here's what Rufus did. He was the son of the guy in, in, in the Gospel of Mark who carries the cross of Jesus. Remember that story? 
Jesus is, is carrying the cross and he kept dropping it. So they, they, they had a man from Cyrene uh, pick up the cross of Jesus and carry it for him. That was Rufus's dad. And look what he says. He was chosen in the Lord. Also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. So, so the guy that carries Jesus's cross, his wife was like a mother figure to Paul. We don't know anything about Paul's dad or his mom or his growing up or anything like that. He never mentions that. But we do know that Rufus's mom in some way loved on him and like adopted him, like motherly uh, kind of nurtured him in some way. Really interesting, awesome stuff. Verse 14, greet a Syncritus, a Phlegon, Hermes, a Petrobus, Hermas, Sounds like a bunch of diseases or something. I don't know. And the brothers who are with them, I guess I shouldn't say that. They're going to be in heaven one day. <clears throat> I have to encourage them. Uh, greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So all these 20, 30 names, this is his team. This is the team in Rome. These are our brothers and sisters doing the work when persecution is breaking out. These folks, I mean, these are the ones we honor and Paul honors them and he calls them teammates. I mean, together working for the gospel. Now, throw that last slide up there because here's here's how we're going to close. The way that we want to close is we want to always, as always, we want to challenge ourselves. And so as we review and as we look at these questions, my, my heart for you is that this wouldn't just be cool information. At least I think it's cool. It wouldn't just be stuff that you learn, but it would be stuff that you apply. Because God, listen, God wants to change you. If you're satisfied with where you're at in this world and in this life and where you're at with God, then this stuff isn't a concern to you. If you're not thinking about your relationship with God and, and eternal consequences, then this isn't important. But if it is, Here's what you can do. Number one, determine your calling. So what is God calling you to do? Everybody should be serving in some way, even if it's small. Really in the church, there are no small in in, in ways. Everything is important. How are you serving? Number two, what's your plan? Once you figure out what God is calling you to do, what's your plan? How are you going to accomplish it? What are the steps? What are the ways that you're going to, you know, grow deeper in your walk with Christ? Are you going to get involved in a small group? Are you going to, you know, develop some kind of Bible study personal? And do you need somebody to come alongside of you and help you to do that? I, yeah, I would say yes. So how, how can you do that? Number three, who's going to give to it? I mean, the mission of God is a real thing and the mission of God requires resources. So are we collectively going to give to the mission of God and do this work together? I hope that we will. Number four, who's praying for you? When someone says, how can I pray for you? Can you give somewhat of a thought through answer? You know, life is good. No worries. Everything's fine. No, thank you. Oh, come on. Give me something, you know. Think about it a little bit deeper and further than that. Number five, create a team to accomplish the work. So who are you going to take with you? Who are you going to take with you to accomplish your ministry? Maybe your spouse, maybe your kids, maybe some close friends. Who's going to go with you when you serve? Now, as we talk about all these things, some of you may want to pray through, want some counsel today. Some of you walk in here today and you've never received Christ and, 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 and that's kind of the first step. There is, the, the first calling is salvation. 
So as you leave today, uh, right when you walk out to your left, there's a room that we've been renovating for the last few weeks, and it's called the Care and Prayer Room. We've got counselors that'll be in there, uh, and every week from now on, they're going to be in there. And so if there's ever a decision you need to make, ever some counsel or prayer that you would like to pray with someone about or talk with someone with, always, always our counselors are going to be in there waiting for those who need help and prayer and counsel. Thanks for listening. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com.